Section 73 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha Von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 18, Part 1. First Days of the War in Paris. Constant reverses of the French arms. Fall of Metz. Paris turned into a fortress. The Prussians expelled from Paris surrender of the emperor napoleon and his army at sedan proclamation of the republic feudal negotiations for peace we determined to quit paris this is prevented by my illness when i recovered the winter has set in and paris has long been beleaguered fall of strasbourg paris bombarded the proclamation of the german empire at versailles dreams of release and future happiness suddenly interrupted by the arrest and execution of my husband by the communards Oh, monsieur, oh, madame, what happiness, what great news! With these words, Frederick's valet rushed into our room one day, and the cook after him. It was the day of worth. What is it? A telegram has been posted up at the Bourse. We have conquered. The king of Prussia's army is as good as annihilated. The city is adorning itself with tricolor flags. There will be an illumination tonight. But in the course of the afternoon, it turned out that the news was false, a Bourse trick. Olivier made a speech to the crowd from his balcony. Well, so much the better, at least one would not be obliged to illuminate. These joyful tidings of armies annihilated, that is, of numberless lives torn asunder and hearts broken, awoke again in me, too, the same wish as Flaubert's, Oh, that I were with the Bedouins. On August 7, news of a catastrophe. The emperor hastened from St. Cloud to the theater of war. The enemy had penetrated into the country. The newspapers could not give expression hot enough to their rage at the invasion. The cry, Ah, Berlin, as it seemed to me, pointed to an intended invasion, but in that there was nothing to cause anger, but that these eastern barbarians should venture to make an incursion into beautiful, God-loved France. That was sheer savagery and sin. That must be stopped and quickly, too. The Minister of War, at interim, published a decree that all citizens fit for service from the age of thirty to forty who did not belong to the National Guard should be immediately enrolled in that body. A Ministry of Defense of the country was formed. The war loan of five hundred millions which had been voted was raised to a thousand. It is quite refreshing to see how freely people always offer up the money and the lives of others. A trifling financial unpleasantness, to be sure, was soon perceptible to the public. If one wanted to change banknotes, one had to pay the money changer ten per cent. There was not gold at hand to meet all the notes which the Bank of France was authorized to issue. And now, victory after victory on the German side. The physiognomy of the city of Paris and its inhabitants altered. Instead of its proud, magnificent, resplendent mood came confusion and savage indignation. The feeling spread ever wider and wider that a horde of vandals had descended onto the land. Something terrible, unheard of, like some cloud of locusts or some natural portent, that they themselves brought this plague on themselves by their declaration of war, that they had considered such a declaration indispensable in order that no Hohenzollern, even in the distant future, should even conceive the idea of succeeding to the Spanish throne. All that they had forgotten. Hideous tales were circulated about the enemy. The Uhlans, the Uhlans, 
These words had a fantastically demoniacal sound, as if one had said the horde of savages. In the imagination of the people, this kind of troops assumed a demoniacal shape. Wherever a bold stroke was executed by the German cavalry, it was attributed to the Uhlans, a kind of half-men, getting no pay, and therefore bound to live on their plunder. Along with the rumors of terror arose rumors also of triumph. To tell lies about successes is one of the duties of chauvinism, of course, because courage must be kept up. The command, to tell truth, like so many other commands, loses its obligation in wartime. Frederick dictated to me the following passage out of the newspaper, La Volontaire, for my red book. Up to the 16th of August, the Germans have lost already 144,000 men. The rest are almost starving. The last reserves are coming up from Germany. La Landwehr et la Lasturm, old men of 60, with flint muskets, with an enormous tobacco pouch on their right side, and a still larger schnapps flask on their left a long clay pipe in their mouth, stooping under the weight of the knapsack, on the top of which there must not be omitted the coffee mill and the elder tea inside, are crawling along, coughing and blowing their noses from the right to the left bank of the Rhine, cursing those who have torn them from the embraces of their grandchildren to lead them on to certain death. As to the news of victory brought from German sources, it was said in the French newspapers, they are the usual Prussian lies. On August 20, Count Palakeo announced in the chamber that three army corps which had coalesced against Bazaine had been thrown into the quarries at Jeanmont. Bravo, bravo! It is true that no one knew what quarries these were or where they were, nor did anyone explain how they could contain three army corps. But the joyous message went round from mouth to mouth. Have you heard? In the quarries! Oh, yes, of Jeanmont! No one uttered a doubt or question. It was as if everybody had been born at Jeanmont and knew these army-swallowing quarries as well as his own pocket. About this time, the rumor also prevailed that the king of Prussia had gone mad from despair at the condition of his army. Nothing but monstrous things were heard of. The excitement, the fever of the populace increased hourly. The war at La Base had ceased to be regarded as an armed promenade, it was felt that the forces which had been let loose were now bringing something terrible on the world. Nothing was spoken of but armies, annihilated, princes driven mad, diabolical hordes, war to the knife. I listened to it thundering and growling. It was the storm of rage and despair that was rising. The battle at Bazai near Metz was described, and it was stated that inhuman cruelties had been committed there by the Bavarians, do you believe that, I asked Frederick? Do you believe that of the gentle Bavarians? It is quite possible, Bavarian or Turco, German, French or Indian, the warrior who is defending his own life and lifting up his arm to kill another has ceased for the time to be human. What has been awakened in him and stirred up with all possible force is nothing else than bestiality. End of section 73